The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Social Selling, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. That's what we want to move in exciting new directions. If you want to run with the game changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Oh, my. Interesting buzz. A misattributed quote. Let me tell you who really said it. Not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. You may think it's from Einstein, but it's not. It's from William Bruce W.B. Cameron, American author, columnist, and humorist, most famous for his novels, A Dog's Purpose, which spent a full year on the New York Times bestseller list and includes a two-book series, concludes with A Dog's Journey, blah, blah, blah. What are we talking about today? Well, We've been hearing exciting success stories about the new sales elite. That's my term. They are at the top of their game. They are savvy. They are quota overachievers. Wouldn't you love to have them working for your company? What are they doing right? They're applying social selling techniques and tools with savvy, with energy, with diligence. They have mastered it. They're out there. They're doing it, and they're doing it the right way. But wait a minute. You may have people on your team who are not quota carriers. That word or that phrase is going going to be bandied about quite a bit in the next hour. You may have people on your sales team, marketers, other groups. Look, everybody in your company represents you, represents your brand in some way. Some of them don't get how to do social selling and they don't have a quota attached to them. So if they're doing the right thing, you couldn't even measure it or could you? So how can you help these non-quota carriers see, I was going to say characters, see the light about how traditional social selling tools can boost their impact and what in the world are traditional social tools? We have three experts on the panel today. They're all returning guests. Looking forward to speaking with them. And let me tell you who we have before we get started. First up, we're going to be welcoming back Julio Viscovich. He's the VP of Marketing at a company called R Factor, small letter R, capital F A C T R. He'll tell us about his company when I introduce him in a moment. And joining him on the panel is Jamie Shanks, the CEO of Sales for Life. He's also been on. And of course, how could we do a show on social selling without? Our, our Dwayne at SAP. She's the head of social selling training and enablement. Of course, it's Kirsten Boylo, and she sponsors this series. We're always delighted to have Kirsten on the panel. So let's get started. Julio has sent me a quote from Sun Ji, Sun Ju, however you pronounce it, T-Z-U, alternate spelling Z-I, Chinese general, military strategist, and a philosopher who lived in the spring and autumn period of ancient China. He's credited as the author of The Art of War, and maybe that's a subtitle for our show today, The Art of War, a.k.a. social selling in the modern era. Uh, by the way, Sun Tzu is his honorific name, which means Master Sun. Here is the quote. 
Strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. So, welcome, Julio. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie. Good morning, and I'm excellent over here in Vancouver. We're very glad to have you. We've got two Canadians on. We're going to find out if that makes three. So, talk to me, Julio. Tell me about this quote from, how do you pronounce it? Sun Tzu, Sun Ju. How do you pronounce his name, and how did you pick it for our show today? Well, I pronounce it Sun Tzu, uh, but I'm sure that that is open to interpretation. Um, But for the reason of today's show, I think it was such an applicable quote, because social selling itself is still developing, and I think one of the biggest things or biggest mistakes you can do is not have a plan, and not have a plan that aligns directly with your KPIs. And I think for today's topic, I couldn't think of a better quote to really bring that in and, and talk about today, buddy. Thank you very much. Are you a follower of his philosophy, Julio? I'm, I'm sure you, you have some gurus you follow. What do you, and how would you like to have an honorific term applied to you? What would that be, Julio? Ooh, hey, I, I can't do that to myself, Bonnie. I can't apply an honorific term to myself. That's for sure. Okay. Well, are you a big follower? Do you, you follow his philosophy? And, and uh, yes, what do you think? I do. I do. Believe it or not, uh, one of my majors um, when I first started university was military history. So big part of what I do from a strategy perspective and a leadership perspective all aligns back to some of those courses and particularly to people like Sun Tzu or to Machiavelli. Very interesting. And remind us, Julio, what is our factor? Give me the 60-second elevator speech. What do you do? Our factor is a social media communications platform that is actually built specifically for salespeople so that we can make social selling easy, do everything in one spot, and ultimately trace back KPIs from social selling directly to uh, your business objectives for the sales team. Okay, thank you very much. Pleasure to have you back. It's been way too long. Don't be a stranger. And now let's welcome our second panelist, also way too long. He is Jamie Shank, CEO of Sales for Life. And Jamie has sent us a little four-word quote that packs a punch from Zig Ziglar. By the way, his name was Hillary Hinton. No, it doesn't rhyme with a famous U.S. politician. Hillary with one L. Hinton, Zig Ziglar, who lived from 1926 to 2012, American author, salesman, motivational speaker. And in case you're interested, Zig was born in Coffee County, who knew, in southeastern Alabama. He was the 10th of 12 children, OMG, and he has written so many books. I looked them up. He has written, uh, let's see, Confessions of a Happy Christian, Secrets of Closing the Sale, Raising Positive Kids in a Negative World, Top Performance, How to Develop Excellence in Yourself and Others. I like his title the best, Over the Top, and the other one, Success for Dummies. We'll leave those two alone. And now, let's see, what is the quote that... Jamie has selected from Zig Ziglar. Here it is. Stop selling. Start helping. Jamie Shanks, welcome back. How have you been? Well, welcome from the other side of Canada, from Toronto, Canada. And uh, I chose Zig Ziglar specifically because it actually aligns personally to my why. Uh, My why is I want to be able to move millions of sales professionals from an analog world to a digital world. And that's that's essentially what we do here at Sales for Life. we are the world's largest social selling training company uh, that has a, a very simple mission and that every sales professional, no matter where they are in their maturation process, corporately or personally, will have to make that digital jump. And our job is to educate um, and instill uh, the people, the process, the technology within businesses to be able to move from that analog to a digital world. 
Very interesting. Jamie, I have a feeling that Zig Ziglar mastered the art of selling very quickly. If he was the 10th of 12 children, don't you think he had to sell his family on paying attention to him? Because he wasn't quite the baby, uh, but he certainly yeah, wasn't he, even in the middle of the... What do you I have think? a feeling that he was a road warrior like I am. I was on 70 flights last year, and I have a feeling he was as well. So, <laughs> I think so, too. He was certainly a busy guy. Uh, by the way, uh, his first book, See You at the Top, you, you're, you're going to love this, all three of you. His first book, See You at the Top, was rejected by more than 30 publishers until Pelican publisher Milburn E. Calhoun agreed to publish the book and said it was his greatest success. How about that for persistence and finding that needle in a haystack? And in this case, Ziegler found the needle in the haystack, which was the publisher. A little bit but inside out there. Thank you very much, Jamie, and welcome back. And now let's bring on Ms. Kirsten Boylow. Kirsten, it's a hat trick or a, a trifecta today, all three of you in Canada. I think I'm going to have to move north. I don't know. What am I doing here in New York? Uh, Kirsten has sent us a quote from Helen Keller. It's a beautiful quote. Helen Keller, of course, 1880 to 1968, an American author, political activist and lecturer. She was the first deaf-blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. There's a movie about her with her teacher, Ann Sullivan, Patty Duke, and uh, I think it was Ann Bancroft. Beautiful Academy Award-winning performances. The state of Pennsylvania actually commemorated her birthday, June 27th, as Helen Keller Day, and it was authorized at the federal level by presidential proclamation by Jimmy Carter in 1980 on the 100th anniversary of Helen Keller's birth and she proved hey deaf people can do anything that hearing people can do very very interesting woman and she was also a socialist we'll leave that one alone and here is the quote that she has selected Kirsten has selected from Helen Keller alone we can do so little together we can do so much I think there's a word social embedded in there somewhere secretly hi Kirsten how are you I'm great Bonnie thanks how are you I'm very well. Thanks for asking. Three Canadians on the panel. How did that happen? <laughs> oh, you know, we're just trying to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you came out and admitted it. I really appreciate that. Kirsten, talk to me. As I mentioned, I think that the word social is somewhere embedded in the quote, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. Social is, this is the fabric of what social and social networking, social media, social selling is all about, right? It truly is, and it, but it really is about uh, sales in general, even. Um, not necessarily about social selling, because social selling is just one aspect of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really feel that, you know, teams, there's no I in team, and, and teams are what makes the world go round. You, um, if you try and work by yourself um, as an island, you're going to accomplish maybe something, but you're probably not going to accomplish a whole lot. Um, and and I, I mean, in my own experience here, I, I've seen that that very thing. I had um, I had to rely on me, myself, and I for the first eighteen months of my tenure in this role, and um, we accomplished something. But it wasn't nearly as much as we've been able to accomplish in the last year when I've had a team around me. Um, we've come so so far, and uh, so I really I really almost live that you know that quote. Very interesting. And uh, Helen Keller was certainly at a, at a disadvantage. Did you happen to see the movie? I know you're you're very, very young, Kirsten, but did you happen to see the movie The Miracle Worker? I'm Come really on, go with young, it. But, Just go with it. Yes, um, you are. She did fascinate okay. me as a child and uh, and her persistence and the story of, of what she was able to accomplish by uh, by truly pushing through the barriers of that people had put around her and that she had put around herself. And uh, 
So that really inspired me. And, and um, you know, she knew the, the value of having that team around her, the team of people to, to help her. So in terms of our topic today, Kirsten, since you're the, the, the uh, I'll call you the co-producer, the sponsor of this series, and you came up with the topic, in terms of finding the value for non-quota character, carriers, I keep wanting to call them characters, and maybe in fact they are, maybe <laughs> I'm just a character, does this compute in terms of teaching them how to embrace traditional social and social selling and how to measure their value uh, is just the fact that there are teams of people who are already embracing social and social selling, is it going to rub off on your non-quota carriers or is that going to be an uphill battle? Just wondering. Uh, from, from my own experience, mm-hmm. um, our non-quota carriers at first say, no, that's not my job. Uh, and then once ah. we start talking to them about how they could apply it to their role, um, as long as we talk to their experience and, and use their um, mindset, then they understand how valuable they can truly be to, um, to the overall team uh, of sales uh, with, when it, with respect to social selling. Thank you very much, Kirsten. Good topic. And now let's circle back around to Julio Viscovich. Julio, we know you're somewhere in Canada. We'd love to know what are you drinking right now or what would you rather be drinking that would make you really, really, really happy? Julio? <laughs> Well, Bonnie, I think I'm going to shake things up a little bit, and uh, no pun intended, Uh-oh. because I would have a Neapolitan milkshake in my hand. First of all, because it was an amazingly beautiful weekend for the first time all year. And second, yes. um, when you have a Neapolitan milkshake and you look at it, the color is brown. It looks like chocolate. That's the customer-facing part of that milkshake. But what went into that was actually three equal flavors that all contributed equally to that great taste at the end of the milkshake. And I think that parlays greatly into, uh, into our conversation today. So tell me, what are the three equal parts? Is it chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry by any chance, Julio? You got it. Okay, and what's the flavoring? I know if you use a little more strawberry than the vanilla, it ends up with a fruity flavor. If you use a little more chocolate, it ends up chocolatey, and vanilla kind of neutralizes everything because I love Neapolitan. I, I keep it in the freezer, and I do a banana milkshake with Neapolitan ice cream. I'm not supposed to tell anybody that. No, of course I don't use sugar anymore. No, of course you wouldn't do that, Bonnie. Thank you very much. So what, what goes into it? What is the rest of the oh, recipe? Bye. You have the three flavors, of course, but you have to spice it up a little bit and, you know, throw in a little banana, a little bit of strawberry, and, you know, see what's around the office. There's all sorts of uh, non-quota carriers we could throw in, per se, right? <laughs> ah, interesting. Okay, you and I are very like-minded on that, and we will not admit to sugar, of course not. Absolutely not. Julio, pleasure to have you back. Jamie Shanks, what's powering up you in Sales for Life? What are you drinking today, or what would you love to be drinking? Uh, well, uh, I I actually collect gin, of all things. So I am a massive <laughs> gin drinker, and uh, I, I probably have 20 bottles at home and at the cottage. Uh, what makes gin unique, a lot of people don't know this, this might go along the social selling, gin is basically <laughs> vodka. It's distilled identically like vodka, but it's added uh, in the distilling process is juniper berries as its main base and then any other flavorings. So there's a gin out of the Mediterranean that includes basil, thyme, rosemary, and it has an Italian uh, like pasta dish flavor kind of thing. So it, it's whatever fruits or vegetables you want to also distill with. That's what gin really is. And to Julio made an analogy back to social selling, I guess I have to do the same. 
uh, gin, like vodka, is just selling. Uh, but what makes gin unique is it's an additive process within the sales process, which uh, I guess the juniper berries and all the other fruits and vegetables will be the digital side to your sales cadence or sales process. And that's all that we're going to be talking about today. Social selling is selling, but adding digital within your tool st- within your tech stack and your skill set. Thank you very much. I love the idea of, uh, yes, thank you for the les- lesson and thank you for the juniper berries and thank you for all that good stuff. We have been educated. Drink up. Well, it's kind of early for us here. I don't know. Uh, Kirsten, what are you drinking to balance out this very interesting gang you've got here today? <laughs> well, I'm being pretty plain Jane. I've got some lemon water in front of me. I just finished a great big cup of uh, Tetley tea, though. Um, but I was going to say to Jamie, have you tried Ungava Gin? It's from northern, even northern Ontario, northern Quebec, and it's just been it, it, yeah, it's named the world's the best gin. Territory. It's from none of it area. Uh, yes, and it's, it's colored so yellow. Yeah. Yes. Ungava. I found it. Gins that you would see yes. that is colored yellow. I found it. It's Ungava, U-N-G-A-V-A, dry gin. You can buy it in a 750-milliliter bottle, and it is just pure yellow, as yellow as they come. It's not cheap. Uh, it's running about 35 no, bucks U.S. A here. gin should cost you uh, 40 to $50 or more a bottle. Oh, my. Well, this one is only thirty-five twenty-five. so should we assume that it's on sale, or should we assume that it's just uh, It a- might be on sale. <laughs> 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 Interestingly enough, th- there is a place called the District of Ungava. Did you know that? Actually, I, I, there, I did not. But the I District of it's Ungava, in our newest province in it is. It is. It's yeah. a regional administrative district of Canada's Northwest Territory from 1895 oh, yeah, to 1920, yeah. and it ceased operation in 1912. It covered the northern portion of what is today Quebec, the interior of Labrador, and the offshore islands to the west and north of Quebec, now known as Nunavut. Nunavut. Ah, okay. In- so, Kristen, I guess we're both right. A little bit of, a little bit of Quebec, <laughs> doing some of Labrador, and none of it. There you go. And Angava in, in Inuk. Tut origin means towards the open water, believed to be reference to the lands inhabited by the Ungava Inuit, who lived at the mouth of the Arno River, which flows into Ungava Bay. I'm just going to leave that one alone. We all got a history lesson, a gin lesson, an Ungava lesson. Very interesting. I think that was the U instead of the A, though. Here we go. It's time for us to take a break, but as you all know, they don't let me near caffeine on radio show days. I wonder why. And today is a doubleheader. I've got another show an hour, a little over an hour after this one is over. So, everyone, we are talking to Julio Viscovich, Jamie Shanks, Jamie T. Shanks, Kirsten Boylo. Our topic today is social selling for your non-quota carriers. See, I said that carefully in our characters. Does this compute? Does it add up? How can you get them on board? How do you measure their value? How do you let them know how valuable they are? And how do you teach them the lessons that social can help with everybody being a representative of your brand and spreading the good word on social So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Social media is taking sales organizations by storm. And only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Social selling is a concept that has implications to all lines of business. From building the fundamentals in the sales process and getting the content marketing mix right 
to building cross-functional teams and ultimately changing the way buyers and sellers engage in a digital world. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how social selling is changing the world of business. Changing the Game with Social Selling is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game with Social Selling. Presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to changing the game with social selling. Welcome back. We're talking today with Julia Viscovich, Jamie Shanks, and Kirsten Boyleau. And our topic is very interesting. Social selling for non-quota carriers. Does this compute? Does it add up? How do you figure it out and value it? We're going to start the roundtable right now with Julio. And here are some comments he sent me in his notes before the show. I'm going to introduce the topic, and then he will run with it. And then we will invite Jamie and Kirsten in to share their POV. So Julio says, the value from social footprint of an organization goes beyond sales. He says, each individual, whether they are quota carrying or not, has a voice or a potential voice on social rather than just the brand shouting the message or just the quota salespeople shouting the message. Non-quota carrying employees of any department can provide, I love this, the authentic balance a brand needs online to be likable and transparent. I think you just wrapped up the whole topic here in this opening opening part of the conversation. Julio, tell us more, please. Well, Bonnie, it's, it's really interesting what's happening now, right? As we activate people you know, onto social media from organizations, whether they're quota carrying or whether they're not, um, oftentimes it's just such a different approach, right? If you have a salesperson who is you know, connecting with prospects, sharing content online, what's happening is they often fall into that realm of everything I do online should tie back to the sales process in one way, shape, or form. And what happens is oftentimes, unless they have a lot of help and a fully developed program, they tend to skew towards putting out messages or information online that isn't always authentic, um, isn't always Mm -hmm. adding value. Um, And oftentimes it ties back to directly a piece of marketing content, trying to get somebody to sign up for a webinar, et cetera. And I think Mm -hmm. that what non-quota carriers can do in an organization is really add that balance and add that authentic voice that an organization needs. We can't always be pointing people back to our monetized properties or to a webinar, et cetera. We need people out there that are having fundamentally genuine and authentic conversations with people so that the overarching view of our organization isn't just a bunch of salespeople online, but it's a consistent voice that balances authenticity, genuinity, and some of that sales aspect as well that the quota carriers are going to put out there. And I think that that creates a really holistic view and experience for buyers or people that might be connected to the buying process in some way, shape, or form. So I think this holistic view of having your entire organization participate in the online conversation is not only good for the organization in the long run, but it's also good for the sales process in the short term. 
Thank you. Very interesting. When you talk about authentic balance, do you have to teach them what to say and what to do, though, Julio? I'm going to ask that quick question before we bring in Jamie and Kirsten. How, how do you get them to provide that balance? Will they know it intuitively? You know, they really should, Bonnie. They really should because, and I think we may all agree on the panel, and I'm not sure on this, but social isn't much different than just having a conversation. It's no different than walking into a cocktail party and finding what people are talking about and being able to contribute value to that conversation um, without, you know, going in and shouting and being inauthentic. And I think we all have that built into our DNA because we've all been in social situations before. Very interesting. I, I like the attitude about that. Jamie Shanks, talk to me. Agree or disagree? I, I think this is a little uh, provocative here. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to agree to one piece of it and disagree with okay. one piece of it. So uh, I completely agree with Julio that social, all this is, is applying existing traditional sales skills in a digital context. So to Julio's point, uh, it is just selling. But after training 75,000 sales professionals, I could tell you empirically that this is a learned skill. No different than selling is a learned skill. Uh, mm-hmm. Julio is blessed with natural sales skills. And so to him, it comes natural. But most sales professionals that come into an organization, remember, selling was never taught at the high school level nor the university and college level. So now they're in a business and they don't know how to strike up proper, the, the proper etiquette and flow of striking up personal contextual conversations and migrating those into business conversations. Uh, the, the whole dance routine, essentially, of natural conversation flow is, is actually a learned skill. And so that is where I would disagree with Julio that what needs to be taught to sales professionals is what to say, when to say it, how to say it, the frequency, the, the, the rate and frequency, the cadence, all of it. And in fact, it's, uh, it's ironic that in front of me, I'm, I'm working on a blog that we'll publish in the next day or two, and we did an A, B, C, and D test on different messaging styles. One was a hard sell. One was uh, more of a, a text-based open dialogue. One was a text-based, mm-hmm. very personalized message with a bit of a hard sell, and one was authentic one-to-one video-based communication. And the data is so unbelievably uh, skewing towards humanized video-based selling. Uh, But that Hmm. is a skill that had to be learned. You know, we don't just wake up and learn how to have those type of conversations. Ah, very interesting. I like this little bit of contention here. Kirsten, you want to talking about creating a balance. Do so you want to take a side or are you going to jump right in the middle? <laughs> um, well, I kind of have to agree with, with both. Um, I am going to jump in the middle, I guess. Um, I would say that... That's so Canadian. <laughs> I know. Peacemaker. So Canadian, aren't I? There she goes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that... that uh, you know, court carriers and everybody wants to have a voice. They want to be able to um, to be able to to participate in that conversation, to to help with the success of the organization, as as Julia mentioned, and and to and to um, 
and, and to push their, the, the sales agenda forward. At the same time, um, a lot of times I've heard, oh, I don't, I wouldn't know what to say, or I'm a, I've even heard this, which kind of just kind of makes me chuckle. I'm afraid I'm going to break the internet. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, yes. Or, what if I say something wrong and it goes viral? Uh, so people, they need that. Um, they need that coaching. They need that skill set to be able to to have those conversations. When they're, you know, if you think about the traditional sales model where they go and sit in front of the person, if they say something wrong to that person, the the impact of that they might share, you know, that that person might share it to a few people, and and word of mouth might get out, but it's not going to go to hundreds of thousands of people. Whereas if they put something out there on on a social media platform and it gets shared and then it gets shared again and then it gets shared again, the potential to hit 100,000 people is not that hard. So um, people are are a little bit reserved about how they interact and what they should say and what, you know, can I share this and am I going to ruin my reputation? It makes people very vulnerable and it's, um, it's definitely something that requires, um, a little bit of hand-holding, coaching, uh, whatever you want to call it, training um, to, to make it above. Uh, a reality for people. Thank you, Kirsten. Let's circle back to Julia. You started this whole thing. What, what do you think about what your colleagues on the panel added and shared? Julia. You know, I do, I do think that we're on the same wave, wavelength there. Um, I think I was more referring to just getting people to jump in the water and dip their feet in the pool a little bit and just helping them understand that, hey, this is not a lot different from you having a conversation. And I do totally agree that as part of the sales process, there is a lot of learning that needs to be there. Process needs to be in place. The when, where, why has to be there. But from an activation standpoint of getting people excited in your organization and getting them over that, hey, I'm scared to talk Mm -hmm. to anyone hump, I think it really is just helping them understand that this isn't much different than you going into an office or picking up the phone or having that conversation. So I think at the end of the day, um, I do tend to agree, agree with everybody here, uh, and I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. We love a little bit of uh, shaking up that balance. Kirsten doesn't have to be the, the peacemaker on all of this, but thank you for being <laughs> in the middle. Now let's look at some notes here from Jamie Shanks. Jamie, some very interesting things. I'm going to read two statements from your notes and, and ask you to put them together. I, I think they'll make a powerful statement. Number one, you say the weakness in most organizations that are trying to scale social selling is with frontline sales managers. Now I'm going to leave that one alone. I'm going to add Another one I think it amplifies this beautifully. You say more than 50% of the success of social selling becoming sticky, in quotes, in the organization requires top senior executives to demonstrate their interest in digital through action. They need to lead a horse to water and they need to drink the water themselves. Jamie, tell us more. A very interesting perspective. Yeah, essentially for any program to go beyond the test, the trial, the pilot phase and, and become part of the organization's way of doing business, first and foremost, and I think every company knows this intuitively and, they, and I, I see so many sales enablement leaders or uh, sales leaders try to avoid the, the, the hard topic, which is if you don't get senior executives on board and those senior executives don't that digital and socializing their sales force is a top three priority in this fiscal year, 
you might as well actually shelf the initiative of social selling and focus on on another uh, a, a priority or initiative that is a top three initiative to those executives. Basically, senior executives, their actions dictate the entire flow of the whole company. Sales prof- and, and then it trickles down to the frontline sales manager. If I'm a sales professional and I report to a frontline sales manager and you tell me, I want you to become social, but over the course of weeks and months, I notice that you, the frontline sales manager, are not social. You are not online. You're not, you're not helping me in my digital journey. I think to myself, hold on for a second. I want to be you one day. I'm a, front, I'm a sales professional who wants to become a manager, and I want to emulate my manager, and you clearly don't see it much of a priority. You talk about it as if it's a priority, but it's clearly not a priority to you. And also, when we're in our coaching one-on-ones, you don't ask me about the activity. You don't really help me understand what I should be doing from a digital standpoint. Uh, there's a great quote, and I'm going to probably screw it up. Uh, it's from Extreme Ownership, Yakko Willick. And uh, basically, the long of the short is, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. And that's where the frontline sales managers fail, is they'll preach, 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 but if they, if they tolerate inactivity, digital inactivity, they're going to get digital inactivity. So that kind of gives you the hierarchy of needs uh, from... C-level executives down to the frontline sales manager of the importance. Interesting. Uh, Jamie, that's a, a branded trademark of Echelon. It's a ca- clothing category. It's not what you preach. It's what you tolerate, interestingly enough. It's that high up, and it's also been attributed to Leif Babin and all kinds of people. I looked it up. So you got the quote right, just not sure uh, where it comes from. So, Yeah. Okay, very, very interesting. Thank you. Kirsten, let's get your thoughts on the stickiness and how high up in the organization senior executives need to actually dip their toe in the pool, in the water, get wet in the social selling realm. What do you think? I think it's extremely important that executives uh, get on board and and really take part. And not just, as Jamie said, preach it, but um, but actually do it themselves, drink the water, <laughs> uh, you know, not just lead the horse to the water, lead their sales team to the water, but they have to actually be part of that conversation. They need to be out there sharing content, um, developing content. They have access to not only the quota carriers, but they also have access to the, to the entire sales team, um, <clears throat> the value engineers, the, um, the industry teams, the line of business uh, you know, business partners, all of that kind of stuff. And, and they can um, pull them in and, and be part of those conversations and have those uh, build themselves up as that, uh, as the trusted advisor so that um, as, you know, as their teams grow and as their teams are trying to do business development, um, people are starting to look at not only the, the team or the individual sales quota carrier, but also the leadership of that team and saying, hey, this team knows what they're talking about, not just the individual that I'm working with, but the entire team knows what they're talking about. And and I want that team to work with me. I want that team behind me as I put this initiative in place in my own organization. And I think that's really, really important for uh, a customer to be able to see that. Interesting. Um, 
Yes, we're talking. We're talking before about visibility and balance and uh, transparency and online likability. Let's circle around to Julio Viscovich. Julio, thoughts? Is this a provocative topic? Are you in full agreement? What do you think? <laughs> I, I have to uh, have to be in agreement on this one, just because it's so essential, right? That, to make something stick like that, you really do need that top-down executive buy-in to create a social selling culture. If they're not there then you're going to be very hard-pressed to create a true, good social selling culture that's going to be successful. And again, to Jamie's point, how can you coach somebody if you don't do it or live it yourself? I think getting their feet wet is going to help them ultimately in the future. And when you think about executives, they have potentially the most influence out of anyone in the organization. They have massive networks built throughout their career. Not only can they help make the program sticky, but they can lead by example and show the value of the effectiveness of content by sharing it, by getting it in front of their networks, other decision makers. And I think there's so many good things that comes out of making sure your executives are on social, not only for the sales process, but for the happiness of your employees, the ability for them to have touch points with their executives, um, and ultimately will lead to a better culture in the company, not only on the sales team, but throughout the company as a whole. Very interesting. Thank you very much. And, uh, Jamie, this was your topic. Anything you want to add before I move to something from Kirsten's list? No, I I think uh, the team's done a great job helping everybody recognize uh, if you don't have have it at the top, uh, and we've we've trained 300 companies, so I've, I've learned over time, we've tried to create groundswell, and groundswell is perfect for creating pilots, for creating tests. Uh, you do a pilot within an inside sales group or in the LATAM market or, or in a certain product line. But it doesn't become global. When I mean global, it just means scaled across your whole business, no matter how big it is, unless the senior executives buy in. It will only stay a regional play or a pilot play until that date. Thank you very much. A very interesting conversation here. Kirsten, I'm looking at your notes. I'm going to pick up one comment that we didn't cover from Jamie, and then I'm going to use that as a lead-in to something in your notes, Kirsten. So Jamie says, marketing needs to be accountable for a portion of total sales bookings, not just leads. Now I'm going to segue into Kirsten's note. She says, non-quota carriers, and I assume we can add marketing into that mix, can add value to the social selling process by building relationships with a broader team within an account, listening for the triggers and pain points to upsell into the account, listening for trends and strategic directions that would impact the deal, engaging in conversation with key contacts over social. So, Kirsten, let's talk. Where does marketing fit into this non-quota carrier's opportunities and value to impact the process? Go ahead, Kirsten. Marketing fits in by creating the content that will um, generate the conversations that sales is looking to have, uh, and not by creating a very product-focused, um, very self-focused content, because when you think about it from a customer point of view, a customer wants to talk about themselves, and they don't want to talk about um, products, and so... Being able to um, have that content at their fingertips from a, from a quarter carrier standpoint or from, say, a pre-sales or value engineering standpoint or a sales operations standpoint, being able to have that content that generates conversations um, is, is really, really important. And, and so marketing can certainly fit into, into it that way. I also, from my own experience here, I happen to sit in marketing um, 
although I tend to, to uh, associate more as a salesperson than a, than a marketer. Uh, but marketing can also lend the expertise around the social media, sta- social media platforms, and, um, but not from a social media marketing standpoint. Social media marketing and social selling are very different. I have that conversation many times. <laughs> um, so... You know, there there are definitely ways that um, marketing can provide value to a social selling team by providing content, by providing uh, enablement um, from the content part, but also from a training perspective, um, and uh, you know, kind of being that um, expert when it comes to social. Uh, so there are very different ways, very different ways that we can that marketing can provide value. Thank you very much. Let's get marketing into this conversation, circling around the table back to Julio Viscovich. What do you think? Marketing, is it a good thing, is it a bad thing when it comes to social? What is their role? I think they're growing into the role. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that I love the, uh, the point that you know they could look at taking a number of bookings into their KPIs because what, what that would do would force sales and marketing to actually share a KPI that they could agree on, uh, which would be a good start. I think if, if, if marketing is just focused on generating leads, marketing qualified leads, then what they forget is the attention that needs to be put into optimizing every piece of content that they create for different stages of the sales process. They need to understand that different conversations are occurring at each step of that process, and that, those pieces of content, to Kristen's point, generates the right conversations at the right time. And if marketing isn't creating that content, then that's a problem. So I think that shared KPI look or just making sure that there's something in common between the two departments is going to go a long way. Um, One of the things I've always been a proponent of, and I know this is difficult for larger companies, but I suggest once a month or, you know, if it's once a week for an hour or once a month, have marketing actually sit in the sales bunker or go into a corner Mm -hmm. in sales and actually have some conversations with people who are on their breaks and learn how their content is doing, what they're doing wrong, what could be done better. And I think such, something such small like that actually leads to huge gains in the effectiveness of marketing and sales working together. Thank you very much. Marketing and sales working together, what a concept. Let's get Jamie T. Shanks in on this. Jamie, is it possible in the real world? Uh, it, and it's already happening. And there's already articles, if you just did a Google search uh, on Saster, there are already articles of SaaS-based companies that are migrating their marketing team to earn commissions and actually be responsible for a percentage of sales quota attainment. I'm going to paint a, a vision of where, the, where I believe this is all going. We call it team revenue. Basically, a business only moves by sales bookings and revenue. So if that's the end goal and the end state, marketing's role is to support sales throughout that entire buyer's journey from creating interest and intrigue, we will call that a lead, all the way until a customer signs and beyond for cross-selling and upselling. And so in the futuristic state of team revenue, essentially what will happen is the concept of titles and roles and responsibilities uh, in the traditional sense will go out the door and everybody on the sales and marketing team will sit integrated amongst each other and they'll all have their place within uh, an assembly line, essentially. And in team revenue, the only metric that will matter is sales quota. And the Mm -hmm. percentage of sales quota that each individual sales professional can hit and then aggregate all that together to make, you know, uh, the total goal. And what will happen is that marketers 
will be responsible for a percentage of that will have to be driven in through the demand gen waterfall so they can directly tie leads coming in from their efforts digitally and then being able to map where they're influencing and attributing the other deals so that they could pull up the what we call the content consumption story of every deal and that their digital fingerprints that the customer is checking out marketing assets along their journey. So they could look at any customer and say, you know, you, the sales professional, are having sales conversations, but days before your sales conversations and days afterwards, the customer is learning from all of us. And we are all one team that's helping support that journey. That's where it's all going to go. And so we're, my own business, we're evaluating what the commission plans will be for marketing to have a percentage of our total sales goal will be driven directly from them and they will be compensated as such, no different than a sales professional. Well, that's probably good news. Uh, let me let me circle back to Kirsten. What do you think? Anything you want to add to what Julio and Jamie just added to your topic? I think it's very exciting the way that things are changing in the marketing and sales um, roles and, and silos that they've been in you know, up till now. Um, bringing those two organizations together and and uh, and compensating them together, measuring them together is going to only create a better team. I always go, right? Uh, it's only going to create that better team and better impact for the company. Thank you for that, Kirsten. I'm, I'm going to toss a question out to the panel, and Kirsten, I'm going to pick up something else from your notes. We've got, oh, about uh, 11 minutes left, plenty of time before we get to the crystal ball predictions round in about seven minutes. Um, Kirsten, we talked a few minutes ago about how senior executives need to dip their toe in the in the pool of social selling, and we also talked earlier in the conversation about how people who are not in sales and not trained in social are afraid, I will break the Internet, I will break our, our uh, Facebook page, I, I will break our LinkedIn connection. And they really don't know. Does it take, and I'm going to throw this question around the panel, but starting with Kirsten, does it take secret meetings with senior executives to get them to get over their fear of breaking social selling? In other words, you don't want to say to, to your, your sales and marketing teams, gee, Bob, our CEO, he's terrific. He's a worldwide leader, but he's so friggin' scared. He's up awake at night scared to do his first tweet. He's afraid to put anything on LinkedIn. If that happens in the real world, do you need to to have somebody encourage Bob to get a trainer, a coach to do this so Bob gets comfortable and can reclaim his position as a leader this time in social? Kirsten, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think even those that are comfortable um, – can, can get value from a coach. Everyone can, you know, no matter what kind of situation you're talking about, can probably gain from having some sort of coach um, walking alongside them um, and encouraging them to not drop the ball, not, not stop tweeting or not stop sharing updates. Um, to Because, you know, you can get into a, a bit of a... Um, like a routine and you, and then something happens in your life and you you know drop off or um you know setting up that very first tweet if you are uh you know uncomfortable or feeling very apprehensive about um setting out uh, a tweet or a, a LinkedIn status update or perhaps it's on WeChat if you're over in uh, in China and um so, and having that someone walk alongside you and and show you um, the tips and tricks and the best practices uh, to to 
a confidence to, to hit send um, certainly is mm-hmm. very, very important. Okay, so do we need private training? We need secret backroom training or, or off-site somewhere at a restaurant where the senior, the C-suite, it, it top the, the glitterati in the C-suite meet secretly and, and get up to speed. Julio, what do you observe? How far should they go to get comfortable with this, or should they just say to everybody, I don't know, not me, you all do it. What do you think? <laughs> well, I definitely think they need to be involved. Um, obviously, they can have such a big impact, not only from a coaching and culture perspective on their teams, but also the impact that they can do because of their role as trusted advisors. I think one of the biggest things in getting executives activated is making sure they understand what's in it for them. There's so much opportunity mm-hmm. for them to develop their own brand as well as all of the other great things that come along with being on social. Um, I think one of the things I've seen that has been extraordinarily effective in helping this is making sure that there's a policy created. Help people understand how they need to act to behave. What language should they use? Make it easy for mm-hmm. them so that they don't have to feel like that. Social media policies really help executives and other folks in the organization truly understand what's happening, what they should say, what they can and can't say. And it removes that whole, I I may break the internet um, side of things out of it. So I think a couple of those approaches, training, making sure they understand the why, and ultimately creating a policy to make sure that no, no language gets used that ultimately could cause a PR disaster. Yeah, PR disaster. We don't want any of those. Jamie T. Shanks, what do you think? Well, you're asking a hammer uh, if everything looks like nails. So, yeah, you know, as a coaching and training business, you have yes. to imagine that I, I see it from the lens that mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a skill. This is a soft skill that needs to be learned, yes. uh, whether it's an executive or whether it's uh, a sales engineer who's not a quota carrier, but they have no idea the impact they have of being a subject matter expert, or it's a frontline sales manager. Uh, there is... A, uh, there are skills that they need to learn to be effective in a digital world. That, and the easiest way that I always I, I look at it is uh, most of us, soon to be 50%, but greater than 50% of the workforce to date was born in an analog world, and they need to learn digital skills to complement their existing sales process. Uh, by 2020, that the millennial workforce, w- workforce which was born digital, will learn how to refine their digital skills for a B2B, business-to-business context. Uh, but it's all a skill that needs to be learned. Interesting. I'm, tell me if I can put this tweet out for, for all of you on the panel. I say, if you're a CEO, CFO, CIO, CTO, lack digital social selling skills they need a coach is, is that okay <laughs> can i say that nail and says yeah <laughs> okay kirsten can i say that on twitter is that that okay oh, absolutely i'm cool I'm quoting you. Yes, thank you very much. We have five minutes left. I think what we need to do right now is circle around to Julio. Interesting conversation. Julio, let's look into the lens to capture a, a very picture, uh, pun intended, picture word from Jamie Shanks. Uh, Julio, let's look into the lens of the future, the crystal ball, if you will. You know, that's a portion of the show where we look ahead and say, what would be different about this conversation if we met again at some point in the future? And I'm very keen on 2020 right now. 
uh, somebody told me recently it's only three New Year's Eves away. So I'll say to all of you, reserve where you're going to party. Get that bottle of gin off the shelf. Make sure it's vintage but not past its expiration date and figure out what kind of tux and gown you're going to wear. But I'm projecting my own my own social preferences here. Julio, 2020 in that vicinity. Why don't you take 60 seconds, please, and tell us what do you predict will be different about social selling for a company's non quota carriers. Will you even want to compute that? Will everybody be doing social? Will the measurements be the same across the board or will we be very regimented in how everybody's social is measured? All, any or all of the above. Julio Viscovich, prediction 60 seconds. Please go. Well, I think we look at 2020. Social is going to be involved in the onboarding process. I think we'll probably even drop the term social selling because I think that it will be just worked into the selling regimen as a whole. So I think that will be disappeared, but I think the concept will be there. Everybody will be plugged into social. And I think companies will be understanding that they have a bunch of micro-influencers in their organization. People can, non-quota carriers, that can actually make a difference, that can drive interest, that can do all of these great things, that can add into the sales process. So I think these types of things are going to be commonplace in 2020. And I think if it takes 11 pieces of content or whatever it is to move somebody down, down the decision process, um, we're going to need more than just the sales team activated. So I see companies being true social organizations in 2020. Thank you very much. I like that prediction and projection. And let's go quickly to Jamie Shanks. Jamie, prediction, 60 seconds. Share with us, please. Fully agree with Julio. Um, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, what I would add is that I'm a believer in what Forrester has been creating reports by Mary Shea, that there will be a culling of sales professionals. There will actually be a retraction of, of maybe whether it's headcount or success and, uh, of, of sales professionals. And I look at it as the ultimate Pareto law. 20% of your sales force is going to earn 80% of the impact, and it's going to be those that adjust to, to mirroring that buyer and adding extreme amounts of value and the rest are just going to be a bunch of order takers and explainers and all the things that Forrester's outlined in those reports. Uh, I, I, I'm already watching it happen. You'll have robots and you'll have great consultative sellers that shine on the top. I like that. Consultative sellers appreciate that. Yes. And now let's go to Kirsten. I have exactly 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. Well, I would say that uh, given our conversation around, you know, marketing and sales and blending those two roles together and, and you know, co-compensating them, I, I think we're going to see five years from now, we will see a, a very um, big shift in how things have, how those two organizations function and, um, and what their, you know, the ultimate function is of the, the marketing and sales blend of people. Thank you very much. Interesting on the side of social just now, uh, I'm getting a bulletin here from the radio station. Microsoft is having a messaging problem globally on every Skype account around the world right now. So those of you trying to message somebody on Skype, if you're getting little circles that are spinning and spinning and spinning, there we go. We have one minute left. So I'm getting messages whispered in my ear from my engineer. Uh, we are uh, Skype is down, but it looks like some people are able to get through. So there you go. Julio Viscovich, such a pleasure to 
to reconnect with you. Please don't be a stranger and tell Kirsten you want to come back more often. Jamie G. Shank, same for you. They are so smart and interesting and articulate, Kirsten. And, of course, Kirsten Boylow. Kirsten, any quick, uh, talking about predictions quickly in 10 seconds, what's your next topic coming up in three weeks? Any clue yet? Yes, I am. I have Jill Rowley coming on. We, the third guest has yet to be determined, and um, it will be on uh, social selling etiquette and um, um, social media manners. Thank you very much. Speaking of manners, it's time for me to say goodbye. We are ready now to close the show. Uh, dis- desktop Skype is what's having a problem around the world. So if you're on Skype and you're not able to reach somebody and you're within the sound of our voice, hang on. Microsoft is working on it. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Changing the Game with Social Selling. Thank you to everyone. And Kevin, we can hear you. And thanks for the whispers of the timing. And uh, a shout out to Ryan Treasure at World Talk Radio. I'll be back in one more hour with another edition of Startup Focus with Game Changers live here on the Business Channel. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like Julio. Be like Jamie. Be like Kirsten. Be like me. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Social Selling presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, Tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.